Galatians. We're not in Ruth tonight. Um, I want to leave that for Pastor Truman. Um, but we are in the book of Galatians. Chapter 1. And when uh, Pastor Truman asked me to preach, um, the Lord immediately put the book of Galatians on my mind. It's just, it's a great book of, uh, you know, it, when you initially read it, it seems like just rebuke, but it's a lot of, there's just a lot there that um, Paul unpacks for the churches at Galatia, um, and I wanted to bring that to you tonight. In Galatians chapter 1, we'll read from verse 1 all the way to verse 12, and I have no, make no promises that I'll actually get to verse 12. Um, but I'm going to do my best to get to verse 12, so we'll see. <laughs> Let's read. It says, Paul, an apostle, not by men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren which are with me under the churches of Galatia, grace be unto you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that, are call, that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or any angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you once again for... Uh, Tonight, and as we uh, prepare to break open the bread of life, I pray that it be your words that be spoken, Lord, that you would um, use me as a humble vessel, Lord, for uh, your will and for your word to be proclaimed. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity, and I just pray that um, your words be spoken. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So, as I said, the book of Galatians is a book of sharp rebuke, and we kind of saw that after the introduction that Paul gives, and I want to spend some time, you know, it was kind of... It was a difficult thing not preaching through the whole chapter. You know, you want to do it, but by the time I got to chapter 12, I realized I had about six pages of notes, and I'm like, okay, I need to stop um, because I won't be able to get through about six pages of notes tonight. But the book of Galatians is such a great book because it offers rebuke, and there was a very serious problem going uh, into not just one church, but the churches of Galatia, as you saw as we were reading, this is one of the letters of Paul that is not addressed to one particular church, but it's actually addressed to multiple churches in the area. It's addressed to an area and the churches that are in that area instead of just one church. And there was an issue that was occurring in those churches, and that was that there was another gospel being preached in those churches. And so Paul is writing to them. I actually tried to look at what the time frame would have been for Paul to have written this letter, and a lot of people, um, as I was reading through different commentaries and things, agreed that Paul wrote this letter to the Galatian uh, churches 
while he was in his third missionary journey. And he was traveling with a few companions with him. And he wrote this letter to them as a way of rebuking, but not just rebuking, but also reminding them of things that they should be sure of in Christ. And I'm hoping that that's what we hear about tonight is that we are assured and that we are reminded of truths that we have in Christ and that we can hold on to in Christ. And the first word that we see in this entire letter is the name of the author. Now, some books of the Bible we know, like for instance, Hebrews, we don't know the author and we're left with ambiguity as to the human hand that guides the pen, if you will. But Paul here, he, because he is needing to apply discipline, he's needing to share with the Galatian churches something that is very serious. He's about to deal with a very heavy subject as he goes throughout this entire letter. And again, we're just covering the introduction really of this letter up to verse 12. Um, he is getting ready to tell them these, this very um, important truth. And what he wants to do is he is not in any way, because as you see later on in the introduction, he says, Paul an apostle, not by men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. He is not saying his name in order to be boastful. He is merely trying to establish with these churches, this is Paul who is writing, and the authority that I have, which we're going to talk about in a minute, is by Jesus Christ. The only thing that I'm going to declare unto you, Paul telling this to the Galatian churches, is what Jesus Christ has already said. And that's actually what is at the core of the problem that the Galatian churches were experiencing, that they were going to another gospel. And it really is, uh, Paul says here, it's really not another gospel. It's just twisting the gospel message by somebody that thinks that they can add to the perfect word of God and the perfect message of God. And that's what, what was going on in these churches. Not only did Paul want the Galatian churches to know his identity, he also wanted them to know the authority that he was writing with. And the Galatian churches, as I said, were suffering through a great spiritual problem, and it was that some had come into these churches, and the problem really was this, and, and Paul explains this later on in the book, that they were trying to mix the Old Testament law with the New Testament grace, saying that you had to fulfill the law, as, which no one has ever fulfilled the law outside of Jesus Christ. So I don't know how they could have claimed that to begin with. But they, they were saying that basically you had to try to keep the law as they did in the Old Testament while having grace, which is complete nonsense. If you rest in Christ, you rest in Christ because of all that he did. And there is no possible way that any human being, we see this throughout the entirety of the Bible, no one is perfect outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there is no way that any of us, no matter how hard we try, could live up to the law of God. That's why he wrote it, and it's so extensive, because that is his standard. You know, his standard is so perfect that the only way that we could ever attain such a standard is to look upon Christ and rest on him. But somehow, they got mixed up along the way, and there were people in the church that were trying to corrupt. And um, as I was studying this out, I think 
it was mainly Jewish people that were still clinging on to the Jewish religion. They didn't want to, you know, be, they didn't want to recognize the truth of, you know, that the Messiah had come, he had died on the cross, he had done his work, and now we can rest on him. They wanted to impose, if you will, the Old Testament law in a place where it really doesn't have any place. So Paul wanted them to know the authority that he wrote in and his declaration of, as he puts it in verse chapter, in verse one, an apostle is not him boasting of his title to say, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. But to say this, I was taught directly by Jesus Christ. And we know if you read the book of Acts that he was indeed taught by Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that he went away from Jerusalem and he spent three years, the Bible tells us, with Jesus and Jesus taught him. Now, we don't get a lot of details about that time, but what an amazing time that must have been to get, in reality, a comparable time than the apostles did, the other apostles did while he was still on earth. Paul got that just the same. And it is by that authority that he is writing to these churches. And whenever he wrote, he wrote with that authority. And that's why he would put the titles that he did to show them this is the authority that I come in. It is not me, Paul, saying things to you out of my own mind, of my own um, ideas. These are not my original ideas. This is, I am merely proclaiming what Jesus Christ has already proclaimed. And that is my only source of authority. And really, today, it's still our only source of authority. We're not apostles today, but whenever we proclaim the gospel, I, I am just amazed that I can go and share the gospel, and we all as Christians can go and share the gospel because we are given authority by Jesus Christ to do it because we are preaching the gospel message. We're preaching his gospel. And so Paul here is declaring his apostleship, and he says very clearly that his apostleship, he was not made an apostle by men. If you read down in verse 13 and 14, a little bit further down than we read initially, he says this. He says, For ye have heard of my conversation in times past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly jealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. And then after three years, I went to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. He is not declaring his apostleship because of himself, but because he himself was given the message of Christ by the author himself by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Um, man did not meet Paul on the road to Damascus. Man did not train Paul for three years. Man did not and cannot ever change the heart of someone that was very famously known for persecuting the church who now, as he's writing this letter and as he wrote all the other letters that we read of and get to glean from, he is turned from one of the greatest persecutors of the church to one of the greatest, greatest champions of Christ. That is not something that man can do. 
And Paul wants the Galatian churches to know that and, and be sure that the authority that he comes in is not by man, but by God himself. You know, when in Acts chapter 9, after he has the conversion um, experience on the road to Damascus, we know that, Paul, that God went to Ananias and said this in Acts chapter 9, verse 13 through 16. He says, Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is the chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Not only that, but other men, when Paul started to preach in the synagogues, were absolutely astonished. And they were like, is this the same guy? So the authority that he comes in is very clearly, and that's what he wants to remind the Galatian churches of before he even starts his message, is to show them that I am coming by God's authority to give this message to you. And so, after this, he goes into, after declaring his uh, apostleship, he says in verse 2, And all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia. He was traveling with several members, and he wanted to greet them and, and have you know, the people that he was with in, in passing greet them as the letter begins. And so we begin the actual letter after the introduction, which says, Grace be unto you. And peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, as Christians, I think every Christian, actually I know this to be true, that every Christian has experienced those two things from God and from Jesus Christ. His grace, and because we have experienced his grace, we also have his peace. And so... What Paul is doing, as he did with many of his letters, is he's trying to, in, in many ways, remind them of the unity, the togetherness that they have in Christ. All Christians do. Which, by the way, we have the same unity with all that are gathered here that are believers, that have been uh, redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ, that we have grace because we have been given grace that we did not deserve, that God chose to give us grace. And because of that, we have peace with the Almighty God instead of what we should have, which is his righteous judgment. Because God, being a just God, did not decide to just sweep the judgment under the rug. But someone got that judgment on our behalf, and that was Jesus Christ. And it is because of him that we experience both God's grace and peace with God. You know, we see in this particular letter, um, which is not addressed to just one church, but to many churches, that they were falling into a very wicked snare, which was that they are falling into basically their bad doctrine has come into the church. And what Paul is trying to do as he is beginning this letter is to remind them, you have to persevere in the grace and peace of God. You have to live in that knowledge every single day. And as Christians, we have to do the same. You know, as Christians, 
we live in the grace and peace of Jesus Christ every single day of our life. We experience peace, complete peace with God, no matter what our circumstances are every single day, no matter what we might go through on a given day, we can have peace because God has given us that perfect peace. And Paul is reminding them, because we have that peace, of the cost of this great peace and the cost of this great grace because of Jesus Christ who took it upon himself so that we could have that. And I was reminded as I was going through this passage and it's a very well-known passage in Isaiah 53, part of it says this in verses five and six, again, verses a lot of people would know that says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. You know, as Christians, we, and just in general, we can be very dumb people as human beings. That's why I, I, I actually find it a great thing to be compared to a sheep when in comparison to God, because he is that much all-knowing and we know very little. We have very little perception outside of the instantaneous. And we have a God that not only lives outside of you know the, that instantaneous moment, but has seen all of it. And we can rest on him because he knows every single step that we're going to take. And in that knowing, he gave way in the past a way for us to be free from our sins, that we can lay and we can lean on him like we were talking, like we sang about tonight, leaning on the everlasting arms. That salvation is everlasting. We don't have to, every day, we don't have to wake up, did I lose my salvation today? Because frankly, I think we would all be in danger of losing our salvation if it was up to us. But we don't have to worry about that because we can know that we have grace, because we have the grace of God, we have peace every single day of our life. And we have to daily abide in that truth. As Jesus himself said in John chapter 15, I am the vine and ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. You know, Paul in beginning this letter, which was a letter of very sharp rebuke, and we'll see that here in the next verse begins by reminding the churches of Galatia one thing that we should all be reminded of, I think, every day of our life, and that is the all-sufficiency of Jesus Christ for every moment of our life. If we don't rest in the truth of Jesus Christ and who he is, if we aren't really, and I mean, when you, and I'm not talking about just acknowledging it, because I think that's, that's the bare minimum, I think, of acknowledging it, but if we're not resting in the truth of who Christ is and what he has done for us, and have that in our minds, it's really easy for us to go astray, even as Christians. It's really easy for someone to come with another gospel and persuade us if we're not resting in the truth of Jesus Christ. And so he, he begins really the tough part of the letter now that he has spent talking about grace and peace, all great things. He now says this in verse 6, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that, are, that called you unto the grace of God unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. 
You know, these are still the early days of the church, and Paul's writing here to these churches that were being infiltrated by those who preached something pleasing to the ear, but it wasn't right. And Paul is writing to them to let them know, you need to keep your guard up against anyone. And I love how he puts it in the next verses. He says, if anybody preaches any other gospel, whether it be an angel, whether it be another man, whoever it is that might come to you and declare something other than what Jesus Christ has said. Very, very harsh words coming up next. Let him be accursed. Don't even don't don't intimate it. Don't don't let it in the door. Just you have him as a curse because that's what he is to God, because I don't think that anyone that would go around perverting the gospel of Christ has really been saved. Although there's a lot of people that may claim that they are saved and they preach the gospel that really, when you look at what they're preaching, you kind of call into question if they really are saved or not by just the fruits of what they are producing. He says, let them be accursed. You know, the same thing is happening today that happened to the Galatian churches back then. And I think, really, when you look at it, if you look at the, the Bible itself, it's been happening since way back in Genesis chapter 3. You know, Satan told Eve, he just, he just twisted a little thing out of what God had told Adam, that hopefully he told Eve, which I don't know if he, she got the message or not, or if she just didn't really believe it or what, but how quickly did Eve turn away from the truth that she had been given from Almighty God, from the Creator that had molded her with his own hands. But the same thing's going on today. You know, Paul, even when he wrote to Timothy, he wrote, um, he said this, he said, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but having their own lust, but after their own lust, shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. We see that today more often than I think we've ever have. I think Paul, in Paul's day, the only reason why they saw it as prevalently as they did was because the church was still coming into its own. It was still growing, and so it was a problem. But today, I think instead what we have is the opposite problem, where they didn't have a lot of things and it was still growing. We have a buffet table of false information. And people just pick and choose what they want instead of resting on the all-sufficiency of Jesus Christ, which is what we are called to do as Christians. But resting in the all-sufficiency of Christ, if we want the grace of God, if we want the peace of God, we have to take this book at face value and declare it as it is, not edit it, which a lot of people want to do, but it's hard to do that. That's why it's very hard for people, and, and, and even as we go out and we proclaim the gospel to people, it shocks me, but it doesn't, it shouldn't because of why people don't want to receive Jesus Christ. It, it, it shocks me in the sense that it's a free gift that is being given. I mean, I remember what college was like. I was here when, when I was in college. He took anything that was free. Um, but not only that, it shocks me, but it doesn't surprise me. Because in order for somebody to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, you have to first humble yourself before God and realize without God, you can do nothing. 
And it's really easy to be corrupted and to say, okay, no. And this is, I think, what was going on. This is what we see in the uh, Galatian churches, that now they were trying to mix Old Testament with New Testament. And it was a faulty mixing anyway. But it was almost as if you can take your salvation in your own hands. I don't want to take my salvation into my own hands because I would lose it if it was up to me within probably 20 minutes. But if I lean on the all-sufficiency of Jesus Christ, I don't have to be wondering, am I going to lose my salvation when I wake up today? Am I going to say something? Am I going to be accursed? No, I can rest on him and know that I am secure in Jesus Christ. And really, there was really nothing new about the message that was being proclaimed, but really a twisted truth. And we see what Paul says. He says, but though we or any angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that we ha- ye have received, let him be accursed. You know, there's no half-truths. There's, no, there's nothing like that when it comes to the truth of God. And all of them that would put anything other than what is in the word of God into the message of Jesus Christ is cursed because they don't really, I don't think they know Christ because to mix what God has said and to knowingly do it, I would say, as Paul even said, to watch your salvation with fear and trembling because you don't know whether or not, you know, by your fruit, if you're actually saved. And I think all Christians, and this is, I think, where the problem was with the Galatian churches that is really the, at the core, and hopefully I'll get to dive more into the book of Galatians with y'all. Um, as Christians, you know, when we're called to all of us be spiritually discerning. But that comes with resting in the all-sufficiency of Christ and getting to know him more and spending time with him quality time not just i checked the box off you know of i read my bible i prayed really spending time and growing that relationship growing the 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 great relationship that we get to have with the god of the universe through jesus christ and with that grow in wisdom so that when people come with any other thing we can, because we know and we know and we know what this book says, we can say, you know what? That doesn't sound right. That, that doesn't feel right. And we can be spiritually discerning to not even give those kinds of people the time of day. Lastly, verses 10 through 12, and these will be the last few verses that we'll go over. And it says, for do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by revelation of Jesus Christ. The only aim for someone that is proclaiming the gospel, the only, the only true aim, the only aim that should be, is to proclaim Jesus Christ as he is. That should be the aim of anyone that, that whether it's by preaching the gospel or by, you know, you go, us going out and, 
and proclaiming the gospel to somebody, we sh- our goal should be to proclaim the gospel as is with nothing else added. Because there doesn't need, there's, there's nothing that needs to be added to what is perfect. And if we believe that Christ is all-sufficient, we know we, we talked about the all-sufficiency of Christ. We talked about how, you know, we talk about it a lot, how Christ is all-sufficient and because he is all-sufficient then his word also has to be all-sufficient to use it to proclaim the gospel. There doesn't need to be anything added to the gospel. And that is what not only Paul was seeing in the Galatian churches, but it's something we have seen, we are seeing today rampantly going on in churches. It's something that has been happening since Christ proclaimed his message that people have always wanted to twist and turn the gospel. And the reason for it is very, very evident. And Paul actually says it right here, to please men. And he says, if my goal was to please men, then I am not a servant of Jesus Christ. If our goal in proclaiming the gospel is to make the gospel palatable for people, we're not really doing a service to Jesus Christ. We are not serving the one that we say is the all-sufficient Christ that saved us from our sins, that we believe on and believe and believe and believe that he has told us the truth. We do not serve him if we twist the gospel by one bit or we put anything into the gospel that was not already there because his word is perfect. And all that he's given us is perfect. And all he has asked us to do is that we would rest in his truth. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 2 and 5, Jesus said this, and then I thought it was an interesting parallel. It says, Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have the glory of men. Verily, I say unto you, they have the reward. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. You know, as a Christian, our reward is where? Where? You, you can answer. In heaven, right? Where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, right? That is our reward, and it is everlasting. And I know some. it's very tempting as a Christian to try to, we have the rewards up there, but also try and heap rewards down here. But how much sweeter are the rewards and how much eternal, how much more eternal are the rewards that we will get in heaven? And all that we have to do as Christians is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we do that, we know we have an assurance that that is going to be the case, that we will have treasures laid up in heaven, not for our own benefit and not for our own to be puffed up in pride that we have these many gifts, but to be able to lay them back to the foot of the all-sufficient Christ that gave us the message, that gave us the salvation, that gave us everything that we needed to be able to tell others, I have met Jesus Christ. I know him. And be able to preach and teach about him. And to those that add to it, really they're all, all that those people are after are itching ears. And so we have to be spiritually discerning and being rooted and grounded to the true vine of the all-sufficient Christ 
that gives us spiritual discernment and wisdom. And James, when it comes to wisdom, James put it very clearly in James 1 verse 5 when he said this. He said, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. That's all we have to do. If we lack any wisdom, if we lack anything, we go to the source because he has everything. He owns everything. He is everything. Let's pray together.